This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 60. can be found on page 619 in your black-covered Bibles. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you, for in my wrath I struck you. But in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night, they shall not be shut. The people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom they will not, that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel." Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breasts of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your wall salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, 
and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. Good morning. It's really good to be with all of you. My name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, I was reading Psalm 122 this morning before coming in. It said, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord and worship together. And I'm really glad to be here uh, today in this place uh, with, with all of you guys. What's fun about Isaiah 60 is that it is this picture this vision of what God is going to do when he redeems the world, when he makes all things new, and it like progressively unfolds throughout time. So I was thinking about this when we were singing together. We're experiencing right here the fulfillment of this passage as we, people from all sorts of different backgrounds, places, nations, 2,500 years after this was written, are gathered to worship God. And so even now, like we, we experience signs of God's faithfulness just in the fact that we're here worshiping together, which made me really excited. And I thought I would share that with you uh, before I got into the rest of the sermon. So there you go. Um, before I do that, I actually have a list of announcements for you. Um, one of my jobs at the last church that I worked at was I gave announcements every single week. And I was really happy uh, when I came to Redeemer. I did not have to do that, but I'm doing that this morning. So uh, here, here, here are... Um basically a, a list of ministry opportunities uh, that uh, wants to make you aware of and invite you to participate in in the next few months uh, over the spring. And I kind of want to uh, break these down into two sections. We have some men's and women's discipleship opportunities. Uh, two of them are kind of ongoing realities that we, that we always have happening. Uh, on the second Thursday of the month at 6.30 a.m., um, we, we have men's prayer uh, here uh, in the building. So uh, we, we just gather together, pray from 6.30 to 7.30, ask God to move in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, uh, in our world, pray for each other, um, and would love to invite you uh, to participate uh, if, if, if you're a guy anytime, second Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. And then on the third Thursday uh, of the month, our, our women uh, can gather um, or no, the fourth Thursday, I believe, um, at 7 p.m. here. So um, we, we think that worship and prayer is something that's essential to in the life of our church. Uh, we don't want to just treat this as something that's like not really important or just the time that we can get together. Um, I really want you to come and participate in that. So men, second Thursday, 6.30, 7.30. Women, fourth Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Please, please come and be a part of that. We also, uh, you should have gotten a couple handouts, have some men's and women's uh, discipleship and formational opportunities. Uh, for, for our women, we have this uh, Bible study that's gonna be going through Hebrews uh, throughout the spring. There are two uh, times, so hopefully you can find a time that would work for you. Uh, one of them is Monday evenings, 7 to 9 p.m., uh, and the other one is Wednesday mornings, 9 to 11 a.m. They'll be meeting here uh, at the church. Would love to invite you, uh, if you're a woman looking to get a little bit more connected, to learn more about uh, the scripture, to sign up for this on the website. You do have to sign up, and there is um, a book to purchase that goes with it. If you need some help purchasing it, let us know, and we'll, and we'll help you out. 
For men, uh, we have a men's formation lab, which is going to last 10 weeks, starting on February 24th. We'll meet from 6.30 to 8 a.m. in the morning, uh, right over there in Luther Hall, and basically talk about uh, what it means to pursue spiritual leadership uh, in our homes, in our lives, uh, in our church. We'll be going through Bob Thune, who's a pastor in Omaha. He wrote a book called Gospel Eldership. Um, So if you are interested, if you're a guy in getting some formation, discipleship, learning about what it looks like to pursue spiritual leadership, please sign up and be a part of that with love to have you there. Okay, I'm almost done. I feel like a flight attendant going through all these, like, fastening your seatbelt things. Um... Second, we have our DNA class, which we offer a few times a year. DNA is basically just us trying to lay ourselves on the table for you, say, hey, this is our story, this is our, these are our values, this is what we believe. If you are interested in being part of uh, our, our, our church, interested in pursuing membership, um, this is the required class that you will go through, where we basically are just like, hey, this is what it means to be a member at Redeemer. This is what we value. This is how we want to um, live our lives together as a church. That's going to be March 4th through 5th. Sometimes we do this in kind of extended classes. We're going to do an intensive on a Friday evening through Saturday, kind of early morning to uh, early afternoon, uh, March 4th and 5th. And finally, last one, um, we have what we're going to be calling a discipleship lab Sunday afternoon starting February 27th. This is for if you uh, don't have a community group that you are a part of and are interested in pursuing discipleship uh, together in groups, we're going to be basically hosting a space for us to read scripture, pray together, and talk about what it looks like to participate in the mission of God. Uh, We'll have more information about all of those things coming out to you soon. Holly, did I miss anything? I got it. That was the hardest part of the morning for me. Okay. Um, Please do do, uh, sign up. Come after that. I would love, 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 love to um, see you guys all participating in in these things. So let's pray. uh, And then we are going to do our best to make our way through Isaiah 60. Jesus, you said that when you were lifted up, you would draw all nations to yourself. That that on your cross, you're somehow reconciling um, not not just us as individuals, but the entire world back to you. Um, and, And we do see signs of that happening all over the place. So thank you for that. Thank you that you are at work. Thank you that you are drawing men and women from all kinds of backgrounds throughout the world to yourself. And I ask that you would continue to do that even right here in this place. Uh, Will you fill this room, fill our hearts with your spirit? Will you open our ears to hear what it is that you have to say? And will you bring your light? Um, Because there is a lot of darkness There's a lot of darkness um, in our world. There's a lot of darkness in our lives that can feel really overwhelming and overpowering. Um, And and you said that your light always overcomes darkness. So will you do that this morning? Will you open our eyes, open our hearts to behold your glory? And will you change all of this, us? I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
All right, so I come from a kind of long line of pioneers, farmers, and immigrants. Uh, my great-grandparents were Italian immigrants. They left everything behind, moved to Chicago, moved downstate Illinois, worked in a coal mine kind of all of their life, sent their kid to college, my grandpa, so he could make something of himself. It's kind of that classic American dream story, right? Um, it, there was tons of hard work. There was tons of determination to do the things that were necessary to provide for your family and to move forward and to kind of make a better better life for yourselves. On my, on my other side of the family, uh, I come from a line of tall, bald farmers from western Kansas. <laughs> and I was really hoping that I would get the uh, Italian hair, and I did not. Um, I, I did not. I got the tall, bald farmer body. Um, it's just fine. It's whatever. I can rock it. I'm really thankful for. I'm really thankful for my family. Right? There's a lot of beauty uh, in kind of the, the the heritage that I'm from. There's also a ton of brokenness. My dad's dad had a falling out with his dad. He left home really early. He enlisted in the Navy. Fought in World War II. Had a string of relationships. Left my grandma when she was really young. My dad grew up without a dad, um, and I always had this really kind of weird, awkward relationship with, with him, where I'd be like, "Hey, Grandpa, I got A's in my class," and he's like, "That's great." The best people I knew got C's because they knew how to apply stuff to the real world. It's like, ugh, okay, cool. Thanks, man. Um, and so it's like when I, when I think about my family, when I think about my life, I, I see like this legacy of, okay, we're going to work hard. We're going to try to provide for our family. But there is also this kind of fracturing impulse in my family, like kind of always on the move, leaving, never really getting to much depth. And there's like a lot of pain and brokenness associated with that. And that's, that's, that's my legacy, right? I'm not alone in that. You guys have that too. I'm sure if we look back in your family tree, you can see all the ways that you benefit and have amazing blessings from your family and how there is tremendous pain, heartache, brokenness, and relational fracturing in the world. And at times, the brokenness of that reality that we all live in can feel way more overwhelming than the beauty, right? Uh, Our faith, Christianity, the Bible, Isaiah would say that this comes from living in a world that is in spiritual exile, right? We are cut off from the way that things are supposed to be. So instead of experiencing harmony, peace, togetherness, depth, more often our experiences, not just in our families, right, but in our workplaces, in our schools, in our churches, in our friendships, often lead to fracturing, to distance, and it feels like, especially in times like this in the world, that there's no end to the fallout of that. The uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote an opinion piece this weekend uh, on the fracturing of evangelicalism that has happened in the last five or six years. And he quoted this kind of Christian leader guy as he was interviewing him um, about what his experience had been like since uh, 2016. And this guy, this Christian leader, said, one of the most surprising elements is that I've realized that the people who I used to stand shoulder to shoulder with on almost every issue, I now realize that we are separated by a yawning chasm of mutual incomprehension. And I would have never thought that that could have happened so quickly. And maybe you feel like that too. Like in your own life, in your own relationships, there's this distance, there's this fracturing that seems to be happening all over the place in our world. 
And we get really caught off guard and surprised when we experience that. Isaiah wouldn't have been surprised by any of that. He, he had his eyes wide open to the kind of fracturing, destructive reality of sin and evil that is at work in our hearts and in our world. He describes it throughout the book as this kind of thick darkness that hangs over everything and everyone. But what I love about Isaiah is that he can have his eyes wide open to that. He can talk really clearly about it, and he can do it without being cynical, uh, in, in September, I decided to um, take a year-long break from social media and just get off. I was like, this just isn't good for my heart and my soul to be on here all the time. And I made the mistake this weekend of logging back on just to see like, what I've been missing out on. Um, <laughs> nothing. I was not missing out on anything. <laughs> get off of social media. Like, it's just so full of cynicism, right? We have this really keen awareness that things are broken, that they're not the way that it's supposed to be. And we respond to that by being just like cynical, losing hope, just like not thinking that there's any possibility of redemption or things being put back right again. I love about Isaiah is that he can look at all the brokenness and do it without falling into cynicism because he knew and he wants us to see and to know that even though this darkness, this brokenness can seem ever present, the light of God's faithfulness will always overwhelm and overcome the darkness. Always. Yes, darkness is present, separation, fracturing, exile is what Isaiah uses to talk about that reality. But those things never have the final word and never have the final say. God's glory, God's light always overcomes. And so we've been preaching through Isaiah for more than a year now. We're entering into the final kind of home stretch. We're in the 60s. There are 66 chapters, so we're going to finish this up um, in, in a few weeks. Um, and, and in this last section, Isaiah is writing to give hope to a people who were living in exile, actual physical exile. They were living in Jerusalem. Babylon comes in, crushes Jerusalem, rips families apart, uh, scatters them, defeats armies, carries the, this people off to be servants and slaves in a foreign land. And Isaiah is saying, hey, that reality is not going to last forever. And he wants us to know that the physical exile that we're experiencing isn't our biggest problem. We actually have a spiritual exile. The evil, the darkness is inside of us, not just outside of us. Mark talked about that last week in Isaiah 59. And Isaiah's promise in all throughout Isaiah 60 is that just as God will bring an end to physical exile, he will also bring an end to the spiritual exile that we're all living in, that we're all living in, and the impacts that we are all feeling all the time in all of our lives. We're all looking for a life in a world that's the way that it's supposed to be. And Isaiah 60 gives us a snapshot of that world. And it's a world that God says is coming. It is coming. It's this picture of a city that is full of life, light, diversity, and healing, where God lives face to face with his people forever. And here's what's important for, for us. No matter where you find yourself today, you need to see 
the glory of God and the faithfulness, the covenant-keeping, steadfast faithfulness of God. And so after taking this hard look in Isaiah 59, uh, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and read 59, listen to the sermon online. God holds out this hope to, a, uh, to the world that one day his glory is going to fill everything. One day the darkness will be done away with forever. And there are a million details that I wish we could go into in this passage. All those obscure names, like, and these nations and the camels and the sheep, it all means something, right? Um, We're not going to go hit every single little verse. I just want to look at the three big kind of promises that Isaiah 60 lays out for what God will do and is doing now. It all has to do with God's glory. Promise number one is that God's glory will overcome the darkness. Promise number two is that God's glory will bring an end to exile. And promise number three is that God's glory will heal our world and us. So let's, let's get into that. Let's look at this first promise that we see in the first few verses in that God's glory always overcomes darkness. I'm just going to read um, the first few verses again because they're great. So Isaiah, after looking at darkness really specifically in chapter 59 says, get up, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So, so if you've been paying attention throughout Isaiah, he uses darkness and light imagery all over the place, right? Um, the, the light is God's presence, God's holiness, God's glory at work in the world, and darkness is everything that's wrong, right? It's suffocating. It's, it, it covers all of us. Um, think about this verse that we quote all the time at Christmas and from Isaiah 9. The people walking, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light, and on them light has shined, shone. We quote that at Christmas. It's all about God breaking into the world in Jesus is light, is like light coming at the end of a long night. And Isaiah 60 is all about the, com- all about the coming of Jesus into the world. Chapter 59 ended with this promise that a redeemer is coming to Zion. It's one who will push back all the darkness, one who is going to bring light. And chapter 60 is what it's going to look like when that happens. And the distinct thing, the overwhelming thing that we see in this passage is the centrality of the glory of God. God's glory and light that comes to overcome the darkness go together hand in hand. So what do you do when you're sitting in a dark place and, you, and you're looking for a way out? You go towards light. You go towards any light that you can see. You get up and you move towards it, even if darkness is all around. And Isaiah, speaking to this group of people who are experiencing real darkness in their life and in their world, right? He says, hey, that darkness that you are experiencing isn't just limited to you in this particular time and place. Look at, look at verse two. Darkness shall cover what? The earth. It's everywhere. Thick darkness, all the peoples. We're all living, stumbling around, trying to figure out life in this kind of cosmic darkness that covers everything. And I thought about this when I, when I, when I was studying this, this passage. We, we live in a world that like, isn't dark very often. 
99% of the United States and Europe live under extreme light pollution because we have electricity, right? If, if, if something is dark, we just turn on a light switch, we just turn on a flashlight, we pull out our phone and pull out the flashlight, and there's instant light always available. We can't even see the sky at night because the glow from our cities, the glow from our streetlights actually is blocking out the night sky. Isaiah's people didn't live in a world like that. It, it was dark. When night came, you couldn't really do much more than light a fire and try to have a little spot where you could huddle around a little bit of light. Darkness was everywhere. And the only hope that you had of the darkness lifting was for the sun to come. You couldn't actually, you can just turn on a light, you can just go to downtown Kansas City and stand underneath all the street lights. You were dependent on the sun rising and coming in the morning to bring us light. And so we, we, with all of our technology, with all of our electricity, think that darkness isn't that much of a problem. But remember, the darkness that Isaiah is talking about here isn't just physical darkness. It's not just the darkness that you experience in the middle of the night in the country. It's a, it's a spiritual darkness. And we are helpless to do anything about that kind of darkness. We can pretend that it's not there but why do you think like, our relationships fall apart so quickly? Why do you think that despite all of our technology, all of the advancements that we've made in the world, there's still so much violence and so much that's wrong? Isaiah says it's because we're all living in this thick darkness that covers and touches absolutely everything. And we're all looking for some kind of light that will help us make our way in that place. And what Isaiah sees and wants you to see is that there's only one source of light that is capable of overcoming all of that darkness in the world and in our lives, and it is the glory of God. The glory of God is the thing that shines out here and draws the entire world to himself. That's, what ha- that's what's happening in verse three. This light is shining. It's lighting up the darkness and people see it from all over the world and they're streaming to it. They're coming to it. And when that happens, there's a reversal of this threat that's hung all over the book of Isaiah. What, earlier in Isaiah, what happens when the kings are marching to the city, when the nations are coming? It's not good. The kings are coming to destroy, they're coming to exploit, they're coming to tear down. And Isaiah says, hey, when God's glory lights up and fills the world, it's actually a reversal of that because now the kings, the nations, the peoples are all streaming to the light of glory of God to participate, to worship, to join in, to contribute. You see light overcoming the real darkness that is in the world. And it all revolves around the glory of God. The glory of God is central to all the promises that are in this passage. It's central to the kind of transformation that we see happening in this verses where enemies are becoming friends, where light is pushing back darkness. It's because God is being revealed. 
It's because God is showing himself and drawing people from everywhere to himself. And I love Jared Wilson, who works at Midwestern Seminary. He's um, a pastor in the city. He's talking about this passage and saying, hey, if we miss the glory of God in our church, we actually miss everything. We can't accomplish anything without being fixated always on the light and the glory of God. Listen to what he has to say. He says, mission begins not with leadership skills or leadership strategies, but a glorious encounter with the living God. What we need is not merely believers in God, but worshipers of God. Not people simply willing to mentally assent to the reality of some supreme being, willing perhaps to accommodate acknowledgement of him into their weekly schedule, willing to nod at him on social media as a missing value in society but people willing to offer their whole hearts to the reality of the glory of the one true God, willing to surrender their days, their very lives to him, willing to reorient their very existence around the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Isaiah's promise is that when you experience and when you see God's glory, it changes everything. And that darkness cannot, no matter how thick and overwhelming it seems, darkness cannot hang with the light of the glory of God. The light always, always, always overcomes the darkness. It's promise number one. Promise number two is that God's glory brings an end to exile. God's glory brings an end to exile. I love my, I have two boys. I, I love my boys probably more than anything else in the world. Um, Kara, my wife, was out of town this weekend, so I had uninter- uninterrupted guy time, which meant that we had a lot of wrestling and a lot of pizza and a lot of donuts and a lot of waffles. Um, and, I think, and I think I undid four months of trying to be healthy in two days. Um, it was amazing. It was, it was great. I, I, like, I cannot imagine life without my boys. And I think we always, you know, we all have those kind of worst case scenarios. We, we have this person, this thing that we love, and it's like, man, I cannot, like, I can't imagine what life would be like without that person, without that thing. Isaiah is talking to a group of people who the worst, the worst has happened to them. Like, they, they lost their families. They, like, their, their home was destroyed. Their families are literally ripped apart. Children are taken away from parents. Fathers and mothers are separated. Exile isn't just the loss of a hometown. It's, it's loss of families. It's the loss of communities. It's the loss of things that we love and hold dear and precious and can't imagine life without, with little to no hope that there's ever going to be any restoration. And remember... Jerusalem's exile is just a snapshot of the kind of spiritual exile that the entire world lives under. So we don't maybe live in the experience of having a foreign army come in and take over everything. We live in a world where things, relationships, families fall apart all the time. All the time. We live in a spiritual exile where things are not the way they are supposed to be. Think, think about this. In Kansas alone, there are 7,000 children participating in the foster care system. And these, these numbers are old. These are a couple years old. It's, it's more than this now. 700 of those kids are in Johnson County by themselves. Like we, we live in towns, cities, communities that are full of families, relationships, 
friendships that are suffering, that are falling apart. And the thing about this spiritual exile that we live in, the most vulnerable people always get hit the hardest by it. And so Isaiah sees that. He sees that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. We are all cut off from each other. We're cut off from the presence of God. Things fall apart all the time. And remember, eyes wide open to that. That's what it means to live in exile. Maybe you feel that a little bit like in your chest or in your heart. Look at the hope, the promises that God holds out in verses four and five. To this people, sitting in darkness, sitting in exile, the light is coming, God's glory is coming. And when that happens, God says, hey, lift up your eyes all around and see. They're all gathering together. They're coming to you. Who? Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. When the glory of God comes, like this is the kind of God that he is. He's the kind of God who puts things back together that we thought were broken and lost forever. He's the kind of God who brings redemption and restoration to those places where we did not think it was possible, to those relationships that we did not think that it was possible. And God says, look, this is what I'm holding out to you. I'm not holding out something abstract. I'm holding out real hope of real restoration and a real kind of homecoming, a real kind of reunion that we all want, but that we don't know is, if, if it's actually possible. And the promise here is more than just restored and renewed relationships, right? He, he talks about the sea, the nations bringing in their wealth. The sea in the, in the ancient world represented this source of chaos, dark power. Um, you go out to sea, you don't know if you're ever going to come back because the sea is a powerful place. It's a dark place. It's a scary place. And God says, hey, there's, there's going to be an end to the exile, the sense of being cut off from the earth, from the world. Everything that used to be chaotic, that used to take, is now actually going to provide. It's going to bring beauty. God is making everything sad come untrue. And in this new Zion, there's this sense of belonging and flourishing. It's, it's, it's all that diverse activity that this passage talks about with all these Midianites and flocks of Kedar and camels and sheep coming together. It's this flourishing reunion and homecoming where people who were once enemies cut off from each other are now joined together in relationships centered around the worship of the God whose light is always pushing back darkness. When God's glory fills the world, that's what it looks like. I, I love the beginning of verse five. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. You can also tremble that, or you can also translate that. Your heart will tremble and grow wide. It's that sense that like so many of us live with our hearts kind of like closed off and constricted and trying to protect ourselves, right? Because we're not sure that if we let someone in, like are we just gonna get hurt? Or are we just gonna get bulldozed again? God says, hey, when my glory comes, when exile ends, it's like hearts that are wide open, that are open to receiving reunion and restoration in all things. That's what God's glory does. Promise number two, God's glory brings an end to our exile. And finally, the last promise that God makes is that God's glory heals our world. 
and it heals us. And our world and we are in desperate need of healing, right? We need physical healing, we need relational healing, we need political healing. If you, if you look around on every single level, we see the impact of sin, evil, and selfishness, and we're not exempt from that. Like you and I contribute to that. We, we need healing. We need to be put right. We need to be, be what, what the New Testament calls justified, filled with God's spirit. And God tells Isaiah, hey, I see that. I, I see everything that my people are going through. I see all of the hurt that they've suffered and I am not indifferent. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, he's talking to these people, right, who are living in exile, who've lost everything. He says, hey, whereas you have been forsaken and hatred, he's like, I see that. I see the ways that you feel completely alone. I, feel the way, I see the ways where you feel like no one sees you, no one cares, no one's there for you. I've seen the ways that you feel hated, despised. I've seen how with no one passing through, it feels like there's no one coming to help. God says, hey, I'm gonna make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. God sees, he knows absolutely everything. Like everything that you've experienced that you've gone through in this life, he says, I see that, I'm not indifferent to it, and I am committed to not just like bringing you back to like ground level zero, making things neutral. He says, I'm gonna make you majestic forever. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make you an eternal, everlasting joy. In the deepest, most broken places of our lives, we're going to experience redemption and restoration. He promises, God promises that one day, the script of the way that things are in this world that is covered in thick darkness is gonna be flipped. So those who afflicted will bow down in front of the ones they afflicted. Verse 14, those who tore down walls will rebuild them. Verse 10, instead of taking and exploiting, leaders will provide and protect. That's verse 16. And he says, all of this is going to happen, not because we got our act together, not because we elected the right person, not because we finally got smart. It's because that God is going to bring his redeeming and reconciling glory into the world to undo all the wrongs that we've experienced. Everything. I'm going to read the last few verses um, just because they're really good. Yeah, 16, 16, second half of verse 16. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I'll bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. He's, take, take, your, take your bare level expectations. He's going he's gonna to surpass that, he says. You thought you were just going to get some bronze. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you gold. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders are going to be gone forever. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness, uh, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. That's saying, hey, darkness is going to be gone forever. It's going to be gone forever because the light of God's glory will be eternally 
present. Your sun shall no more go down and your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord and in its time I will hasten it. Do you hear how God is committed to bringing healing, to bringing restoration to the entire world. And, and if those words sounded familiar to you, um, John quotes almost verbatim uh, in Revelation, this passage, talking about what happens when God finally comes to dwell face to face with his people. It looks like light bringing healing forever. A few years ago, I uh, went to visit England. I was in um, one of the colleges in, in Oxford, just kind of walking around. And the thing that surprised me about over there is the, the memory of World War II is way more present than it is here because like, they, they, they were bombed. They, you, you see actual physical signs of destruction still present over there. And, and so there are memorials all over the place. And I think one of the ones that hit me the hardest was I was, I was walking through and there's this fountain that quotes Revelation 22.2 talking about this passage and what, what, what happens when God's glory comes. And it says there's this tree, right? There's this tree of life that's in God's eternal city. And the verses, and the, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And so you're in this place that has experienced devastation, that's experienced loss. And you have the promises of God that, hey, in these places, I'm actually going to bring healing, going to bring restoration to all the places that you did not even think were possible. And so Isaiah writes this, John wrote that for us because he knows that we're still living in a world that has a lot of darkness in it, right? Uh, if, if we sat down and if we had coffee, I'm sure that every single one of us could talk about all the ways that we experience darkness in the world and, if we were really honest, about how there's way more darkness inside of us than we're comfortable admitting. And when we get really like beat up and down and discouraged about that, God wants us to like hold this up and say, oh no, hey, darkness never has the final word. Darkness never has the final word. The light of the glory of God will always overcome. Darkness cannot stand against it. What happens when you turn on a light in a dark room? Darkness goes away. Light is more powerful than darkness. And here's another crazy, scandalous, uncomfortable thing about this passage. All these people, all these uh, tribes that are really hard to pronounce in this passage were enemies of Israel and enemies of Jerusalem. They did horrible things to each other. They hurt each other, they wronged each other, they exploited each other, they stole from each other. And now in this community that God is establishing, they're all being brought together to the same place to worship together. And did you hear when Lynn read about how often God says, and that's beautiful. This, this community that God is establishing through his glory is one of enemies who are reconciled, who are brought together who are forgiven, who experience healing. And here's the other thing that we have to remember about this passage. God's glory is not some abstract thing. I, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word glory. I think, you know, we can think of like some weird ethereal light that's somewhere and it's really powerful and maybe overwhelming. Do you know what the Bible says 
is the place where God's glory is most clearly displayed? It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. God's glory is most fully displayed, not in some like king sitting really far and distant and uh, far away that's really shining and full of light. No, it's, it's in the broken and bloody body of Jesus hanging on a cross. Because the glory of God is the kind of glory that isn't afraid to enter into darkness. Like, it's not fragile. It's actually stronger than anything that, we, that, that can be thrown at it. And so Jesus, who is this glorious one who Isaiah sees and catches glimpses of, comes into the world as light, right? This in John's gospel, the light came into the world and the darkness has not been able to overcome or overwhelm it. He comes into the world as light and what does he do? He steps directly into the most dark, tense places in the world. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't think that he's gonna get messy from it or that he can't handle it. He actually steps right in and absorbs the worst that darkness, the worst that death, the worst that our sin, our failure, our hurt has to give. And he takes it all upon himself on the cross. That's what's happening on the cross of Jesus. You have this glorious one stepping down into darkness, taking it all upon himself. Why? Because he knows That's how light overcomes the darkness. He knows that light is stronger than any darkness we're ever going to experience experience. And so here we are sitting in a different spot than Isaiah's first listeners, right? Our homes haven't been wiped out by some Babylonian army, but we do see how God has acted in the world to bring it into our exile, to heal the world. It is through Jesus. And so when Jesus says, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men, all women, all nations to myself. That's the glory of God that is on display here in Isaiah 60. It's Jesus hanging on a cross, taking the weight of sin, darkness, death, and overcoming it with a light that's never going to go out. That's never going to go out. And so what I hope we walk away with from Isaiah chapter 60 is that light is stronger than darkness. Whatever darkness you see, feel, experience it, experience, the light of the glory of God is stronger. The darkness has not yet been able to overcome it and it never will. So don't act like it might. This is real hope that we can actually hold on to always. And we are living in a time where we're experiencing like the outworkings of this. We see glimpses, we see signs, like we are the nations that are coming to worship God together, right? This, this passage is being fulfilled and we're still waiting for it to finally fully come in all of its beauty and all of its glory and all of its splendor. And so what we do is we live like this is true. We live like there is an end to exile, like God really can redeem and restore all that's been lost, even if we don't have the fullness of that yet. We act as his reconciling agents in the world. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter two when he says, hey, through the gospel, through the cross of Jesus, dividing walls of hostility are torn down. And so we pursue reconciliation. We pursue peace. We pursue justice and righteousness in the world, knowing 
that God is already doing all the work and he's inviting us to participate with him in a world that is legitimately dark, but a world where the light also is already here and is shining and will continue to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. So we come together every single Sunday to remember that because we forget it 30 minutes after we hear about it because it's hard. Like, life is hard. Darkness feels really real. Um, we all have the brokenness, like in our families, in our bodies, in our relationship that needs healing. And so we come to worship, we come to sing, and we come to, to the table to remember that, hey, like, grace and glory aren't just abstract things. They're things that we can experience here in our lives. They're as real as bread and wine and grape juice that we, bring, that, that we take every single Sunday. And so the way we celebrate communion here at Redeemer, we have um, a piece of bread where you can come forward, tear off a piece of bread, and dip it either into wine or juice. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken to make all of this possible. The, the wine and the juice represent his blood that was poured out for us on our behalf that sealed a covenant that's gonna last forever. Uh, we'll have two sta- three stations up front. Uh, two of them will be bread on either side where you can dip off and, uh, and dunk. We'll have one uh, kind of solo serve in the middle that is gluten-free. And if you're also not comfortable with sharing a common cup, you can take that. We'll have the exact same thing up in the balcony. If you are here and you're not a Christian, uh, I would invite you not to take communion, but to actually read Isaiah 60 and think like, hey, like, do you have a better solution for the darkness that's in the world? Like the God who made everything is offering you real salvation, real redemption, real reconciliation. So instead of taking some bread and juice, take Jesus. We'll have people up here who would love to pray with and for you to help you wrestle through that. For any of the rest of us who are in here and in need of healing, in need of some kind of redemption, restoration in your life, come forward and get prayer. Um, either at the front or someone who's beside you. There are tons of people in this room who would love to pray for you. Um, So I'm gonna pray. All those who claim the name of Jesus, who have their hope and faith in Jesus, come to the table, receive communion. Um, Let's pray. So God, thank you. Uh, Thank you that your promises are actually real that your glory is something that the darkness can never overcome. And so even though we, we, we are a people who like, can really sense the ways that darkness and brokenness is at work in our lives, in our families, in our cities, in our relationships, um, like, will you bring light? Will you bring your light and will you push back and overcome all the darkness that is in our world and in our hearts? Je- Jesus, we need you. We need you to bring it into exile to restore and put back together things that are broken. Like, will you do that through your spirit? Will you be faithful to your word? And will you heal all of our hearts, our relationships? Even now, God, we believe that you can do that and we ask that you will. So God, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for accepting us into your family. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeing us. Will you be with us always? Praise all your name. Amen.